Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. And we're actually, we read a book. So, like, the introduction is um, is is genuine this time around. Like, there's a book, and we read it, and we're going to tell you about it. So, we are. But first, I want to tell you, I don't know. I have a case of the giggles, which doesn't happen all that often. Because Rob and I just spent, like, half hour shit-talking half the people on the internet. It's put me in a, in a, in a pretty good mood. If I'm yeah. being really honest. If there's anything that really brings you up is uh, is bringing down everybody, everybody else. Yeah, um, pretty much. So the book that we're going to try and talk about and focus on for this episode is The Rebellion's Last Traitor, written by friend of the podcast Nick Corpon. Here's his bio that we pulled off of Amazon. Nick Corpon is the author of The Rebellion's Last Traitor, Queen of the Struggle, and The Soul Standard, among others. His stories have bloodied the pages and screens of Thuglet, Needle, Out of the Gutter, Crime Factory, Shotgun Honey, Out of the Gutter, again? That's actually listed twice in his bio. And a bunch more. He lives in Baltimore. He apparently likes Out of the Gutter more than he likes the book yeah. anthology. <laughs> yeah, that son of a bitch. I'm gonna, maybe that was the typo. He meant to type the book anthology. and uh, It autocorrects to Out yeah, of the Gutter. Out of the Gutter, I exactly. Don't know. Must be on one of those Apple devices. Wow. Hey, you know what else is missing from here, though? And, and I want to mention this because I thought it was a little odd, and I, I think I understand why. Um, the, by the Nails of the War Priest? Right. The the uh, uh, novella? Yeah, which was science fiction-y and which I really enjoyed, and I was really kind of surprised. Now, I know that it's out of print. It's still available as an ebook, and I think that might be why. But, Nick, if you're listening, you know, throw that in there. I think some people who uh, who like the sci- science fiction might might like that story. Yeah, dude. Don't run from your past. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Here is the synopsis for the book. In a dystopian world ravaged by war and environmental collapse, one man fights history to discover the truth about his wife and child. After decades of war, the brutal Tathadan party restored order to shattered Aiten City by outlawing the past and rewriting history. Memory is a commodity, bought and sold, and experienced like a drug. Hendrake works as a Tathadan memory thief, draining citizens' memories. Everything changes when Hendrake harvests a memory of his own wife's death in the hidden rebellion that once tore apart their city. Now he will do whatever it takes to learn the truth, even if it means burning Eton, Eton city to the ground. We're going to have some pronunciation challenges yeah. Um, and, and I think this would be a good time. I'm going to share with you guys um, what, what Nick said and, and let this be a warning to, to authors everywhere. Um, I messaged him at one point uh, just to see how to pronounce the main character's name. And uh, he says, I had an hour long conversation with the people from Recorded Books, um, which is an audiobook company, about pronunciation for the audiobook. It was really weird. I've never said most of those names out loud. So yeah. um, that happens. And we talk about it sometimes with just pronouncing writers' names because you always see them written on a book jacket, but you typically don't have a lot of opportunity to talk to people about like Polonic. I know we've talked about that one a few times. So right. um, we're going to butcher some of this stuff, I think, maybe. We'll yeah, see. you know, but if, if people haven't been saying these names out loud, we could be the ones that establish how they're pronounced. We could just be the ones. <laughs> We're going to be like, this name spelled H-E-N-R-A-E-K, pronounced Bob. Bob. <laughs> A lot of Bobs and Sams and Mikes. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so up front, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is probably one of the types of books where, um, because we don't spoil stuff, there's not going to be a ton of things that we do talk about. Um because there's there's lots of twists and turns in this book, so if we reveal too much, it will spoil some of those twists and turns. But we'll do our best to kind of give you an idea of what's going on and uh, talk about what we thought about it, like we always do. I don't know why I'm explaining that, but I just wanted to basically say, like, I'm not going to get a lot of story out of this one, but more impressions of the story. Right, so as expressed in the synopsis, um, we're introduced to Henrique, who is uh, the one of the protagonists. So this book is told from two points of view, Henrique and Wallius. A um, little background on them. The two of them were uh, leaders in the, in the rebellion together. Um, Wallius saw the writing on the wall and opted to flip sides um, and is now a high-ranking Tathadan member. 
Um, but he was able to convince the the leader of the Tathadan that he could convert Henrik and that he would be a worthwhile asset to have. So Henrik is now uh, lowly, um, but he is working as a, as a memory collector for the Tathadan. So his job is to, he gets a, a list every day or every few days, and he has to track down these people. And uh, by inserting a needle into their skull, is able to take out their memories, which then also erases them. Correct, Rob? Am I correct in that? Did you get the same impression that once he takes the memory, you no longer have it? Yeah. So basically, like, he's removing a part of you, and that part just happens to be memories. So if he pulls out... Uh, and, and the idea, and it's explained later in the book, but, like, the idea is, like, you can't just go and find a specific memory you're looking for. So either you pull out some memories and hope that you get what you want, or... You just pull everything out, and then they're just kind of a blank slate. They're not dead or anything, but, like, they have no functioning memories. So the efficient memory thief just goes for everything because that's the only way they're assured that they're going to get what they're looking for or um, what they've been assigned to collect. But yeah, the memories leave their head and go into a little vial that can then be watched later on on some, like, weird little, like, Nintendo 3DS kind of thing, I think. Mm-hmm. There's a dual purpose here. So the government um, wants these memories um, for a couple of reasons. A, to, to do research and investigate. Um, B, sometimes just to rewrite history, because if some things are taken out of memory, they can't be remembered. Um, so that's the government angle. But then there are memory junkies who will pay money to relive other people's memories. So uh, Henrik although he is working for the Tathadan, uh, is still rebellious at heart and makes a, a side living um, selling these memories himself. Yeah. Um, so there's an interesting kind of thing where uh, experiencing people's memories becomes like an addictive habit. And the more that you watch or view or experience these other people's memories, the more kind of confused your own mind gets and um, you don't know what's an actual memory and what you got from somewhere else and like your brain gets all fucked up. So there are some negative effects of, of being hooked on memories. And then there was the other thing called paradise, which I don't really fully understand how that worked. Did you get a good idea of what that was? Paradise was like some sort of like parallel drug that, I think kind of amplified the memory, the experience of memories or something. I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm with you on that. I, I'm not entirely <laughs> clear, but perhaps that might be revealed in the next book. Oh. Um, so, right. We go back and forth from Henrik and, and Wallius and Wallius. Um, so we talked a lot about Henrik. He is the white suit wearing kind of bigger guy he's put on a lot of weight and I, I picture him kind of like kingpin from the um daredevil oh yeah yeah a little bit like that um and he just wants to do right by by his his kids basically so he, he does pretty well he, he still looks out for people that were close to him as part of the rebellion but really he's very self-interested he knew it was going to be that he was going to get wiped which is what happens when they take all your memories and kind of leave you for nothing or that he could uh excel and do well with the new regime so i said the writing was on the wall that the rebellion was gonna um fail and and i, I guess i take that i'm not really sure it's not so much hmm, i think we're maybe using rebellion wrong so i guess well they were part of the rebellion but there was a new regime that they that they <laughs> went up against and wally has decided to, to to join them um but yeah he's he's kind of He's an interesting character because he, he really is, is all about family and, and, and protecting, you know, his family, um, even at the expense of, of others at times. Yeah. Um, contrasting with the other perspective that we get the book from, which is Henrik, who um, we, we explain what he does. But the background for him is that during what was called the struggle, which is when the resistance people were fighting the Tathadan, um he lost his wife and child. And um, so he is just basically like surviving. And he's filled with all these emotions and this rage from losing his family. Um, and I think that long term, the idea is like it, it, when we meet him in this book, it's just he's scraping by day to day. 
Um, and he's got like kind of a new love interest that we'll probably talk about in a minute. But um, as as the um, the synopsis said, there's something where he sees a memory about his wife's death, which re sparks all this like fury and anger and and revenge and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, before that happens, as Robin mentioned, he has a new love interest who is a Marianne, um, and she uh, is a bar owner. Um, but a Marianne and, and another guy have decided that it's time to to take uh, take some revenge on the Tathadan. So they're planning not necessarily a, a new you know rebellion, but but really some 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 bad things. They're they're going to blow some shit up. Um, as a show that they're not complacent and that they're not just going to deal with the the bullshit that Tathadan brings down on them. So he's kind of contending with that, and then he finds out that uh, his wife's death, um, the way it was portrayed to him, was inaccurate, and that, uh, I don't think this is giving too much away, um, she was killed in a riot, and he finds out that she was actually targeted by somebody for for death. I mean, like shot in the face kind of death. So he goes on an investigation um, and he feels that his his former friend Wallius um, may have had something to do with uh, with his wife's death. Yeah. So that's really like um, the the driving motivation You've got the the terror plot part of it with a Marion um, and her partner, which is Forgal. I'm going to call him Forgal. Um, and then Henrik and his his drive to find out what happened to his wife. Wallius, is that what we said his name was? Uh-huh. Wallius, really just trying to make a, a life for his kids. Um, his his because he lost his wife at some point, so it's just him and the kids, and he's really focused on that in a way that's like it, it, a, a contrast to his kind of callous like soullessness that he just that he shows when he's working. Um, so those are really kind of the 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 plots that move forward throughout the book, and there's a couple of other players I think characters that are worth mentioning, um, Lady Morrigan. And my note says, bitch leader. <laughs> you know who she um, reminded me of? And, and oh, what's that show called? Oh, it's on. Uh, oh, man, it's on AMC. And it's a kind of weird post-apocalyptic futuristic show. But they've got like a like an Asian guy who's in the martial arts. You know what I'm talking about? I have no idea. Is it Walking Dead? No, it is not um, Walking Dead. But this this merits. Hold on, because this is good. I have to find out now. But while um, you're looking, I'm going to say that like I had the weirdest images for some of the characters in in this book. Wallius, um, like you said, you were thinking Kingpin. I don't know why, but like I was thinking the head dude from Despicable Me the whole time. <laughs> okay, but like if they were serious, little- like like he's evil, but like in a way that's like pretty much as harmless as possible and he's got kids in his life i don't know i just kept picturing what's his name grew is it grew you you have you have young ones in your life i'm sure uh, you've seen I'm, the despicable I'm, me I, I have not actually seen that movie i know wow. who you're talking about but no i've yeah. not seen that. <laughs> um into the badlands there is a female character who has a very similar um in that i don't know she runs a I, I've seen like three episodes, so I'm not going to get any of this terminology right. But she runs like a plantation. She's like one of the big bosses, but she's taken that role over from her husband who was killed mm-hmm. in a very similar way to how Lady Morgan has her power. But she wears like the crazy hats and dresses kind of all old timey and really cool. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had a picture of her in my in my mind. But, yeah, she is the bitch leader, as Rob said. <laughs> <laughs> Although she's very tolerant. Here, here's I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. I know there's probably a couple other characters we're going to mention. But I, I think, so this book is science fiction. And it's science fiction-y. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit um, later. But <laughs> I, I think where this, book, where this book really shines is the um, relationships and the tolerances in relationships between people. So you've got this great dynamic between Henrik and, and Wallius where Henrik tolerates Wallius because he has to, but Wallius is still looking out for Henrik because they were, they were close and, and they came up together and stuff. Lady Morgan, she knows that all these fucking guys are up to something, but she knows she kind of needs them. 
You, you know what I mean? So there's all this right. great like relationship stuff, even the stuff that he find Henrik finds out about his wife. He's got and I'm not I don't I don't think this is really spoiling a whole lot. He has a different idea of his wife than who his wife actually was. So, like, you know, you've got the the tragedy of, of I lost my wife and my child. But now you're finding out that maybe your wife's not exactly who you thought she was. So there's mm-hmm. great stuff going on there, too. So even if it does take place in a we'll call it dystopian future, I think that's fair, right? Yes. The players haven't changed. The people are still, you know, regular people. And uh, and it's it's done extremely well from from that particular standpoint. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. Um, I do think that it, it's a lot of um, give and take. Um, whereas you would imagine that um, someone who came to power so um, brutally as the Lady Morgan character did in this book um, would be pretty much ruling with an iron fist. Um, she does understand the subtleties of like, um, you know, how how things can be political and not not so black and white. Um, additionally, there's um, there's a layer of of the value of what someone's been through that goes pretty far in this book. So there's a bunch of um, people who are you know veteran warriors. I'm using that word just because it's the first one that comes to mind, uh, who have been, you know, through battles for, you know, decades or whatever, and their experience in war, um, regardless of who they fought for is something that's somewhat of a commodity as opposed to people who maybe work with the Tathadan now who, because of the way things are, have never actually experienced battle. So, um, there's a lot of gray area that's established just because like, you know, knowing how to get through, knowing how to survive through tons and tons of war makes you a valuable person. It makes you a survivor. It makes you a tactician and makes you all these different things. So, um, there was a lot of gray area around that, which was neat. Um, a little bit of the political, um, give and take kind of stuff. I agree. And, and a fairly rich history, um, brought to light in a, in a fairly short period of time. So we talked a little bit about the struggle, but there were the resource wars, which all happened before the struggle, right? So I'm picturing that's when, you know, water and oil and shit, you know, shortages and, and that type of thing. So you, you did get that this is definitely our world in the near future, right? Um, I mean, there's nothing magical going on, so I just imagine that it was you know, our world enough. Even, like, the, some of the names are, are, like, almost, like, variations of what common names are now. Like, Amarian is, like, Marianne, you know, like, things like that. Well, it's long enough that the, the naming game has changed, which I imagine will take a while. <laughs> right. But did you catch the, the Blade Runner reference? That's what solidifies it as, as you know, Earth One or, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I did not catch a Blade Runner reference. Yeah. When um, it, it, I don't I don't think I have this bookmarked um, when Henrik goes to see Wallius, he gives a fake name at the gate. And Wallace is like, what oh, are you yeah. thinking? And he's yeah. like, oh, that's a really old movie. There's no way anybody got that reference. Yeah, that's uh, that's I believe that was two names from, you know, mixed together from Blade Runner. Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yep. Huh. Nope. I never would have so caught that. Enough in the future. I don't know how long it'll take before we're not naming people Rob and Livius anymore. I just imagine that our names are getting more popular well, as yeah, time goes on. Like <laughs> the new baby boom. <laughs> We get one of those maps that you see on Facebook, and it's like, what was the most popular name of 2023? And it's going to be like half the states are Rob and half are Livius. Yeah, we know which states those are going to be, too, mm, right? They're going to yeah. get a color coordination. Is that? <laughs> I think Rob looks good in blue. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Listen, Livius is always in red. It's always got a squiggly red line under it. <laughs> Whenever you type it out into something, if you notice yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> and it matches the color of blood. So it fits the whole vampire thing. It all it works sure out. Does. It all works out. It does. As holds true for a lot of books, sometimes the things that don't appear in the book are very interesting. There is a lot of talk. And I didn't realize that this was planned out for a second book and perhaps even a trilogy as some late internet research um, discovered for me earlier. The exiled former leader, Dagda, 
D-A-G-H-D-A, um, is, is a, a key character that doesn't appear in the book because we think he's dead, then we think he's not dead. You know, there are just rumors about these different things that, that he is currently doing or has done recently. Other people are saying, no, 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 I know he's been dead for 10 years or whatever. Some really interesting stuff happening there. I'm going to assume he is a much bigger part of book two than he was a book one. Um, did you get the feeling we were going to see that character that the end was going to have something to do with him? Yeah, there. Yeah, I felt it was kind of building up to something with him. So it's going to have to come. Yeah, in in the next book, I'm guessing. But there was yeah that whole like I don't know if he's dead or not, and like it it, it it's muddied by. Um, what Nick actually did really great in a way that I'm not really super excited about was like, he made it so that like memory and history are unsure. So like every time you're reading something about something that happened, you have to think, all right, is this something that the government established by changing history or is this something that actually really happened? So, um, there was a lot of, uh, unsureness, unsureness, there's gotta be a better word uncertainty uncertainty that's a way better word um around that character specifically um because the Tatha Dan had made it like essentially illegal to even like mention his name so um he was made big by the fact that he was so um man words are failing me today like he was so like removed from or the, the there was such an effort to remove him from from history and everything so yeah i don't know it's a very rich um history building and, and storytelling throughout let's talk a little bit about the sci-fi aspect i don't know if this so it took me longer to get into this book than i wanted it to and part of it is the the naming um scheme game whatever it is is a little harder to follow when you're trying to remember who the people are i'm not sure um how much of it had to do with with all the weird sci-fi stuff but it, it took me considerably longer I, I i hate to say this um but i will for anybody who's reading it had i not have committed reading this reading this for the podcast this is probably one of the books i would have put down about 30 pages in just because it wasn't grabbing me um that did improve once i got what i felt was a pretty good handle on it and for me, really, like I said, kind of driven by the character interaction and in the relationships. Did you did you find yourself struggling at all with the sci-fi aspect? Um, not necessarily with the sci-fi aspect, but the way the perspective. Here's the problem that I had in the beginning of the book is um, I didn't realize that it was going to be alternating perspectives. And I didn't really pay attention to the names of the chapters because I didn't know what a Henrik or a Wally S were. So <laughs> I, a Wally S. Wally S. <laughs> and so um, at the beginning, for like the first probably four, like it was probably like the fourth chapter that I realized that I was so focusing on reading the story and trying to understand what was going on, which is, I think the problem with most sci-fi stories is that you have to establish a world, you know, that these people live in. Um, I was so focused on that, that I didn't realize that I was reading two different characters for like the first few chapters. And then suddenly I was like, uh, Oh, Oh, I see what's going on. So, um, and it, it, I don't know, maybe I was reading too fast or something, but like totally threw me off at first. Cause I'm like, wait, that's not your kid. That's the other guy's kid, but oh, oh, I see. There is a perspective shift, and then after that, it was fine. But at the beginning, it was a little bit confusing. So one of the things for me that I thought was was good was the contrast between what the rich live like and what the poor live like. So we're in the beginning of the book, mostly exposed to what we imagine the majority of people live like, which is in poverty, and there's no guarantee of clean water or, or you know really any standard of living, everybody has to kind of scrape by with whatever they can get, you know, the electricity cuts in and out and, you know, you're cooking up squirrels for dinner and that type of thing. Um, I think even like having a roof to live under is, is not necessarily a guarantee. So, um, the later on you're introduced to, uh, through the Wallius character, what people who work for Tathadan live like, and so there's definitely a class system that's established that Tathadan people have, um, you know, an entirely different kind of neighborhood where 
electricity is consistent and you get clean water and, and um, basically the life that probably you and I live right now, but maybe a little bit more Richie. Um, although Livius is pretty wealthy. So, um, I've got that one Bitcoin. Got that one Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was established pretty well. Um, and my only hesitation about it is I think it was written well. And I think the story, it worked well for the story. But my only hesitation is, is like, I feel like every time that you and I wander into the, like the, the arena of sci-fi type stuff, like that, that's like a mainstay of, of sci-fi is is like a class system, a rich versus poor kind of thing. Or the government versus the people. Like, there's always some sort of, like, system struggle like that. And so, even though it works well in the story, I kind of roll my eyes at the fact that, like, well, here we go again. This is, like, every time I read a sci-fi thing, this is, like, one of the main plot contrivances. Um, I didn't think about that. Uh, you're you're right. You're absolutely right. And and all of my exposure um, has kind of been very similar to that. Um, can I just back to the clean water thing? I yeah. will say that Henrik um, gets to drink some clean water about halfway into the book. Mm-hmm. And, and there's really some great stuff there. I mean, I'm not a water drinker. But I mean, him describing like <laughs> drinking this water, you know, like I could feel like like his yeah. longing for for this thing that he hasn't had for so long. And, you know, even when he gets back to like his neighborhood, he like is thirsty, but decides he's not going to drink his own water because he's still thinking about how good the other water was. Yeah. Um. So some really good stuff there. Yeah. I mean, I don't uh, I, I guess. How do I say this? If you don't have some kind of class struggle, I mean, I'm sure there are other storylines that could be told, but it's like it, it almost has to be a big one because if not, you're doing a, a heist story that has some science fictiony background or you're doing, you know, is that there's only like seven types of stories you can tell. Isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you have like this romance, but instead of, you know, like kissing under the moon, they're just kissing under two moons and it's not as interesting to have that backdrop if there's not a, a social aspect of being a futuristic story or, or a science fiction story, I guess I should say specifically. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I, and again, like I said, I think it works well for the book. It's just, it's something that I was like, well, all right, but there's another thing that I want to mention, which is we didn't get to see a lot of variance in like the, the wildlife and, you know, like I, I get the feeling there's just not a lot of animals around, uh, in this kind of dystopian future. Um, but there is a pigeon named Silas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And the only reason I bring up Silas is because, like, the it's a pigeon who hangs out by Henrik's apartment uh, and kind of pops in when they're, when they're home and everything and is treated like a pet. And pigeons have kind of, I guess, evolved to the point where they're more kind of leathery and fucked up looking. Um, Silas acted enough in this book, like as a character, that I almost expected it to be some sort of twist involving that bird. Like it was going to be a spy bird or like some sort of weird, like there's you know, something where there's a, a perspective that, of from the bird that we... A, re- a reincarnation of somebody. Right. Or, yeah, yeah, something like that. Did you I get that feeling that. too? Um, not, not until you said it, but now that you say it and I'm playing it back in my head, I'm, I'm kind of surprised there wasn't more to the bird. Yeah, because like it was, it was made enough of a... Uh, I mean, it couldn't be just that he named the bird um, what his son had named a cat. Like because of how much the bird came up, unless Nick was writing it in a way. He was like, well, I can't just bring it up because he named it the name of the cat and like put the bird in more like just to like cover his ass. Um, which I guess as a writer, you might think to do that. But um, I, yeah, I was expecting Silas to be some sort of pivotal, pivotal. There's a lot of things I was expecting to be pivotal that ended up not being, which, which I'm kind of happy about because it means the book wasn't predictable. But um, yeah, I was expecting Silas to have more of a, more of a role. All right, let's talk about a very important issue that you brought up unknowingly. Neither one of us are, are really big pet people. Am I correct? I, I don't know you to be a big pet person. I am the like the I am, I'm anti pet. Okay, let's put it out there. All right, <laughs> I'm not sure if you'll have an opinion on this, but recycling pet names. 
Um, no, that's that strike no. me as a little odd when I read yeah. the book. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, his kid is dead, whatever. You know what I mean? The kid had a cat, but I just, I'm not sure about, I'm not sure I feel not just in this book, just in general. Like I think, I think recycling pet names is a bad thing. That's a little, I mean, it's a little morbid if you think about it. So like, ideally a, a pet owner is going to consider a pet to be an equal in the family as anybody else in the family. Right. Uh. Uh, maybe, at least individual, if not equal. Um, so, like, it, would you like if you? <laughs> this is extreme, but like if you had a like a son and that son died, you wouldn't just have like, well, this is Donald number two. You would, well, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. George Foreman did that with all his kids, yeah, and they he, weren't even dead. He yeah, just but used the same name. Yeah. He had a he made a career out of getting punched in the head. So like, you can't really <laughs> like. It's true. Can't count on his decision making. That's true. All right, so we're we're we're, we're nixing the the recycling pet names is not yeah, a good thing. Not like, a good I mean, thing. We can't blame Nick because this is as David James Keaton said. We can't blame the author for decisions the characters make. Yeah, and the this character squarely was yeah was a decision Henry can made. Yeah. Now, if Nick comes out and says, "Yeah, I had a cat, and then I had another cat, and I named it the same thing." Then, then I had dirty pigeon in my house. Then I did the same thing with the cat. Yeah. Yeah, if that's autobiographical, then there's there's a whole there's a greater danger. Um, but yeah, we're we're gonna blame it on Henrik uh, as just being like weirdly sentimental or something. I don't know. He's got he's on that the, those memories quite a bit. Yeah, the whole memory yeah. thing too. Like, um, I I like the idea of of the memory thievery, and I like the idea that it makes your mind a little bit um, questionable. And I think that there was a lot of um, ground that he could have kind of explored with that. And he reined it in. He didn't go as far as he could have. And he also didn't go for, like, the cliched kind of, like, um, uh, approach. And I'm not going to say what I mean by <laughs> by that because that could or could not uh, spoil the book. But um, I like that he played with the memory thing. And if there's going to be more books, when there's going to be more books, I'd like to see if that kind of grows into something bigger. All right, I think we're about ready to wrap this up, don't you? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. For the sake of not spoiling this book, I think it's a good idea to just kind of wrap up and give some general thoughts. And I will get started. So, Nick Corbon has been a longtime friend of the podcast, but I like to think that we always kind of enter into reading books as objective as possible. So we're not kind of just throwing favor. Anybody's heard me review some of Richard Thomas's books will know that we don't spare the feelings of our friends because I've said some pretty challenging things at him but we still you know love each other so um i went into this book thinking i love the way that nick writes and of the of the authors that i've had the benefit of knowing over the years he's probably one of the more promising talents as far as actually putting words on the page um so i was excited about this the downside is i'm not a sci-fi guy so i was worried that my lack of a of a an understanding or, or passion for sci-fi was going to have an effect on how much I liked the story itself. So I'm going to put that right up front because I was kind of right. The story itself is great. It's a great story. It's got good character development. Um, all of the character interactions are great. Um, he, he really builds. You see how people change throughout the story. So like all of the... Um, mechanics of writing a story are, are right on and it's an easy read it's 350 something pages i believe and i did it in three sittings and i did it pretty quickly a lot it felt like it was like a very very fast read considering how big it was and how big the story um that it established really was so like full marks for writing a story that's compelling and interesting the downside is again i'm not a sci-fi guy so having this whole, having to front load a story, like a world and build it as, as I'm introduced to the, you know, the actual story that's unfolding is just not something I'm super excited about. Um, having a system of naming and stuff that is, is, um, unfamiliar and having wars and conflicts and stuff that didn't happen it's just it's it it's not my style, and so at the beginning of the book, I was a little turned off because I was going through all that stuff that I know I have to go through in a sci-fi book to get to the story that I'm actually going to care about, and so um, 
that's no comment against Nick. That's just my personal preference. Not a big sci-fi guy. Um, that being said, I had a little bit of a struggle with the way that the actual ending of the book played out. Um, Nick did a wonderful job of making me care about a lot of the characters in this book. The ones that we think are the heroes and the ones that we might think are the bad guys. There's a lot of gray area there, but I liked the characters nonetheless. And the way that he ended this book, maybe it's in service of, of you know, whatever story comes after this, but I just didn't gel with, with the way it all went down. So that's a little bit of a downer for me too. Overall, I think it was a very well-written book, and I can see a lot of that Nick Corpon talent in it, but maybe it just wasn't the book for me. So I'm going to give it three and a half stars. You know, a, a lot of books are offered up to us to, to review, <laughs> and uh, this is not the first science. It's not the first science fiction book we've reviewed, um, but but it's uh, they they certainly are, are, are few and far between. Um, we, we reviewed this book because Nick wrote it. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I, I think that that's a testament. To some of the things that Rob said is that Nick is a, a longtime friend of the show, B, a very talented writer. And that's um, super evident in, you know, what I'll call the the relationships. And, and again, like I said it earlier, and I think the best way to put it is like the tolerances in those relationships. Um, this wasn't like, you know, oh, there's this great bromance because it's funny. And you know what I mean? Like, like everybody's relationship's good and I like it. it it's definitely not that. There are people who are not what they seem. Um, there are people that are doing the wrong things, but for the right reasons. And, and, you know, and you've got two guys that came up together that are on completely, you know, on opposite sides of the fence. And, and their relationship for me is by, by far the most interesting, that of Wallius and, and Henrik. Um, I struggled getting into the book, uh, you know, and that being said, if it wasn't for this podcast, this is not a book I would have uh, found my way to to its end. Um, it did level out for me and, and I wound up enjoying the story. I, I think some, Rob hit on something, too. I didn't know that there was another book um, after this one. So maybe I would have viewed, you know, some parts towards the middle and in and, and, and the end especially a little differently had I've known that at the time. That being said, I didn't have much trouble with the end of the book, but I think, you know, when you know you're reading something, it's part of a bigger story. The story that you take in is a little different. You kind of file some, some things away as, Oh, okay, this, this is okay. Cause it might be for something in a future book versus kind of feeling like you were left hanging a little bit with, with some things. Um, you know, sci-fi is not for me either. I mean, that's really what it comes down to is, uh, uh, although, you know, I, I do okay with books that have some like magic in them. Maybe the, the sci-fi stuff is not easy for 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 me to to swallow. So, um, overall, relationships written really well. The story is a good story. I mean, it definitely had a, a direction it was going in. You had kind of the bigger story of this um, this strike against the current leadership, um, and then Henrik's personal struggle of uh, how to deal with with the fact that that his wife did not die in in the way that that he thinks that she did. So you know, two different stories going there. Both of those um, delivered pretty well. Um, naming, man, naming is tough because you want to create a different naming system because it's futuristic and it's whatever, but it can be hard to follow at times. So I, I had a lot of the same challenges that that Rob did, which isn't surprising because. Rob and I, much like when, I, I, from what I've heard, when two women hang out for, for long enough together, like their menstrual cycles um, sync up, I think Rob <laughs> and I are a little bit that way with, with books <laughs> after doing this for, for six years. So um, some of the challenges I, I have are the same ones he did. But man, I love the relationships in this book. And, and I, I think that, that other writers could take a cue from um, writing characters that aren't straight, good or bad. Um, and just having really interesting relationships. I think Nick excelled at that in this book. Uh, I'm going to go a tad higher. I get the feeling I like this a little more and Rob did. I'm going to go um, four stars on this. But but in, in, in my defense of four stars, I am, I am the person who's nominating this for a Hugo Award because I got to tell you, it's got to be a lot better than all the other science fiction books that are coming out this year. <laughs> I was just thinking about, all right, so as you were talking, as I was talking and then as you were talking, um, I was thinking about something that's uh, that's unique about this book. Um, Livius, how often in your daily life when people find out you're a book reviewer, do people ask you to, to recommend a book to them? Um, uh, very often. Yeah, it's almost like a very, constant very. thing. 
Uh, so if someone says, hey, recommend a sci-fi book for me, boom, this is uh, without hesitation. I'm going to tell people to read this book because so, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So what we're saying is if you need a blurb for, for the paperback, don't put Rob three and a half stars. No. Rob said best sci-fi book I've ever read. Best sci-fi book. It's yeah. probably not. Yeah, it's probably not far off from the truth. So, like, I mean, even though it wasn't for me. I would not hesitate to recommend this to anybody because, like, I've read some sci-fi, and aside from like some things that are that are like uh, untoppable, like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, yeah, I would recommend the hell out of this book. So I'm putting that positive um, kind of spin on it. Is like of the books of the sci-fi books that we've reviewed, this has got to be the best. I'm thinking a little bit about what Becky Spratford said when we interviewed her and you know how like if somebody liked a sci-fi book and let's say it was a sci-fi book where I don't know uh, memory played a big part you know and and you'd want to say hey oh the rebellion's last traitor this guy steals memories it's a big part step away from that and I've been thinking about that interview we did with her and you know she said sometimes you got to find out what someone really liked about the book and I could see recommending this to somebody who wanted to read a book about um complex relationships not necessarily love relationships but complex relationships between characters yeah i I would probably also recommend this book to to someone who was looking for something like that i agree yeah yeah there you go there it is i haven't said that in on the podcast (laughs) see how long you just kept saying things before i cut you off um hey i have a oh i have a thing and i doing this thing because when i see other people do it it, it really frustrates me All right. um so but i'm gonna do it i read some news just earlier today um this is book related um i've talked on this podcast before about mac bolan the executioner series that's been going on since the early 70s right uh yes yeah okay I've read over a hundred of these. They, they, at one point in, in their heyday, or at least in their heyday for me when I was a kid and I was 16 to the time I was maybe 22, um, one came out a month. They're written by different writers and you know, it was a lot harder to figure out what was going on then because I was pre-internet. So nowadays I, I have a better idea of how many writers were working on this and the schedule and stuff. But um, that was owned by – it wound up being purchased. Gold Eagle Books was purchased at one point by Harlequin and that was their like men's adventure line and stuff. At any rate, it appears that at the end of this year, the very last Mac Bolan book will come out, which makes me sad in that way that I haven't read – I've read – all right, I've read five Mac, Mac Bolan books in the last, I don't know, three years, let's say. I went back and reread the first few, and then I read a more recent one. So I don't want to be that guy that talks about how Adam West is the best Batman ever this week, although I've always thought that, um, just because the end is coming. But I am just so saddened by this. It's all I've been able to think about all afternoon. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Buddy. yeah. I, uh, I I mean, this has been going on for, you know, basically the entire time I've been alive, this has been... Um, something that was available, new books available on a, on a fairly regular basis. And now the end is, is near and I'm, I'm really sad about it. Um, see, and I don't know if I would feel the same way because I'm a rereader. Like I'm a shameless rereader because like, I, I don't know. Um, that's just kind of how I am. But what that means is like, if a series was finite, I could just go back and read it again, which it sounds like you did a little bit, but I know that you're typically not a rereader. So I can see where that would be a little bit more of a bummer, but is that kind of what it is? Like you can't, you can't get that new experience ever again. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, the best way at, at, at 12 books a year, which isn't what it's been the last few years. I think they dropped it down to like four books a year mm-hmm. and doing this podcast. I don't do a ton of reading outside this podcast. So I know for me, this wasn't something I was likely ever to like really throw myself back into. Um, just kind of knowing it's not there anymore. And like I said, I, I could equate this to recent celebrity deaths because this is what happens, right? A celebrity dies and all of a sudden you find out that everybody you know on social media was a huge fan of this musician that you've never, ever seen them mention before, right? This right, is right. exactly what happens. I, I feel like I'm falling into that category today, but <laughs> in, in such a way that uh, I think I get it. I was really sad about Adam West, oddly enough. Um, so Adam West died on, uh, well, the news came out on Saturday, um, June 10th. 
on uh, June 9th, I was actually having a conversation where I talked about uh, how much I loved as a kid that the only two things on TV that I, that I absolutely loved were Batman and Wonder Woman. Like that was the stuff that was age appropriate that I was really into. And then, you know, to find out he died uh, the next day was a little sad. I did watch the the first Batman movie by that being the, the 1968 Batman movie with yeah. Adam West um, last night. Uh Man, it was pretty terrible. I'll be honest, but uh, it, it did it did take me back to to being a kid and and just how stupid excited I was about that. Uh, I, I saw the whole Adam West thing through friends. Um, one of the friends of the podcast, John Gatwood, is is kind of a huge Batman guy, and so he was posting up about it and stuff like that. Um, so I, I was aware of it. I never really had enough of a personal investment with like the Batman character and especially not Adam West Batman to really so I was like, oh man, that sucks for those people who care about him. But it kinda rolled off me. Yep. At any rate, the last Bolin um coming out later this year, maybe we'll have to maybe we'll have to have a, a, a reading of it. The the problem with it is mm. it's written by so many different authors and I don't even know that this is going to be how do I say this? Like, like there's going to be any closure because right. he's written very generically. You have to understand the same character has been doing things since the early seventies. He was a Vietnam veteran, which really he's a, he's a little <laughs> bit like Batman in how Batman hasn't aged in whatever, 65 years or whatever it's been since it's come out. Mac Bolin is the same way. He's still a very fit, um, you know, and, and younger guy who can get around and, and, you know, and fight terrorism and fight mobsters and stuff like that, even though in theory he'd be like 80 right now and, and unable to do any of those things. So kind of along that same line, I'm just actually afraid for the people who have been reading it for years and years that it's just another installment and there won't be any any kind of closure for them. That's, um, I don't even know what to say about that. I don't know. I don't have anything good to say about that. Hundreds, man. There's probably like 400 Mac Bolin books out there. That's. Can you think of another, like, similar series? Nope. That's because I, I. Yeah, I was trying to. While you were talking about it, I was trying to think like, <laughs> what is similar to this? And um, I've got nothing because like, I mean, think about big big series of of like books with the same character. Um. There's not a lot that like there. I can't imagine that there's many that even span that that many books, outside of like sci-fi. So I guess sci-fi books, like you know, like Star Wars and shit like that, has a bunch of like books, but it's different characters. It's not always following the same protagonist. Right. So there yeah, was it's, it's a, I can't remember what is. There was a Western series that ran kind of parallel to that, probably owned by the same by the same publishing house. So I I don't know how long that's it, that could still be going. I can't remember what it's called, but I do know that that was like the you know, Wild West version of Mac Bolin, basically. So there might be some, like, Louis L'Amour stuff, maybe. Uh, yeah, and I was going to say Louis L'Amour as an author, but I don't know if those... I, I don't know anything about the books, so I don't know if it was, like, a continuous storyline or different characters or what, so... Yeah. Huh. That's all I really have That's for the, this week. The the death of your... One of your, one of your big things. Great. Way to bring oh it down. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do have a minor thing to mention, and... Um, this is something that I just saw on Facebook recently, and there's really no information, but it appears that um, Frank Bill, who is a crime writer from Southern Indiana, who wrote Crimes in Southern Indiana, um, and, and Donnie Book, Donnie Book, Brooke, Donnie Brooke, um, is uh, in the editing, like in the process of, he's, it looks like he's got a finished manuscript that it's in the process of, um, be revised with um, FSG, FSNG, which is his publisher. So um, I got excited because, like, there, like the the Frank Bill stuff that we read was awesome. But it's been, I want to say, almost four years now since we've had had new Frank Bill, and so I got pretty excited about that. There's like, that's the weird thing. I feel like we hit these authors and we read something of theirs, and it's great, and we just expect, oh, we'll always have more from this author, kind of like, I guess what you were just talking about with that, that series, um, you kind of take for granted. Well, I liked that. He'll write more. And then you go four years without getting something new. And it's like any little like crumb of information, same thing with Stephen Hall, Rosh Architects, his new book. I'm just like dying to get a hold of it. So I think 
one step closer to new Frank Bill is a good thing. I agree. We have yet to read something from Frank Bill that wasn't terrific. So, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see. So we, we did. We reviewed those two books, right? So this would be the third one. So we'll see. We'll see how this goes. You never know. Never know. I am right, optimistic. Next, <laughs> next up, uh, we're going to go back to well, a little bit of what we were just talking about. Uh, Josh Mallerman and Mad Black Wheel. Am I saying that right? I don't have it in my notes. Mad Black Wheel. Mad Black Wheel. Um, so here's a guy who uh, came out of nowhere, it, right? Black Mad Wheels. Press? Black Mad Wheel. Wheels that are mad and black. Black Mad Wheel. We were saying Mad Black Wheel. It's Black Mad Wheel. All right. All right. You know what? Here's. But this is exactly the point. When you've got somebody you love, it doesn't matter what the next stupid book is called. When the first <laughs> one was so good, you yeah. just read it, right? And I'll tell you, kind of like, kind of like this book we just read. I'm not crazy about the synopsis. Uh oh. But I know that we have a writer that we really enjoy, and sometimes that's enough. So we'll we'll find out uh, next time here on Booked how we feel about Mad Black Wheel. No, Black Mad Black Wheel. Black Mad Wheel. And the way I remember it Mad is Wheel. B because I, I like abbreviated it once in a message to Josh Mailer and his BMW, and I was like, oh. Right. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. So. so that's going to be uh, next time here on Booked. Rob, anything else before we let these uh, listeners get back to listening to the view? Oh, yeah. You should probably go over and check out our other podcast. Um, it's called The View. Um, and it is um, we're we're chucking along. We have covered in the short span of what, 13 episodes so far? 13 um, episodes. The original 30 episodes of Twin Peaks plus the movie Fire Walk With Me plus the first five episodes five now mm-hmm. episodes mm-hmm. of yep. of season three there's a ton if you're twi- if you like twin peaks at all go back and listen to it if you don't like if you've never seen twin peaks and you're curious this is a great way in a very compact amount of time to really come up to speed um listening to our silky smooth voices so um, <laughs> if you just like listening to rob explain things to me like i'm five years old <laughs> you could also go listen to the view for that liveazon.com uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, the podcast app, Stitcher, Insta, Instacart. That's something entirely different. There's like Instapod or something. Anyway, there's apps. Find us. Find the view and uh, and listen to that. And come back for Mal- – so I love Josh Mallerman. And um, uh, Nikki Gerling originally turned us on to Bird Box back in the day, and I'm so glad that she did because I thought it was an incredible book. And then that House at the Bottom of the Lake – Novella was awesome and amazing, so uh, I have a lot of faith in, um, in in BMW Black Mad Wheel coming up. So definitely come back and check that out. And then I'm going to probably push Livius pretty hard to start the lazy summer of podcasting. Um, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Livius Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.